0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed. This is the podcast where good taste and bad taste clicks... Clinton.
1: Start again.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste explode.
1: There they are. My name is William DeBiani. I am a film critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic, as is appropriate for a film review show. It would be weird if we weren't. I suppose so, although there are a lot of film podcasts made by, like, slumming comedians. I think and... once you start criticizing movies, you hmm. become
0: a film critic. I suppose so. At least by, you know, by... By action, but
1: we are film critics by trade. Yeah, this is kind of our whole like mm. raison d'être, yeah. as it were.
0: Yeah, uh, make your raison d'être your thing. Um,
1: and uh, <laughs>
0: anyway, we're reviewing much movies this week. This week we're reviewing uh, the Lovebirds, Blood Machines, Modest Heroes, The Painter and the Thief, and Fire. Open parentheses. Pozar. Closed parentheses. And on the weekly streaming club where we review old movies that one or both of us haven't seen. Movies that are selected by our patrons at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You chose, for some reason, the incredibly sleazy and dumb post-apocalyptic sex action
1: movie, Hell Comes to Frogtown. What can we say about Hell Comes to Frogtown? Well, we're about to find out. We'll find out in a little bit.
0: But first up, we got some new releases. Um, last week was a very bad week for new releases.
1: Yeah, we didn't like those movies. No, like, they were th- bad. The best of, was
0: like kind of eh. Mm. But uh, I will say this: there's uh, uh, some good ones this week,
1: and I want to start off with one of the good ones. Let's talk about the Lovebirds. The Lovebirds is the latest film from Michael Showalter, who uh, you know, once a member of the state. Uh, has been working in comedy as an actor for many years and has directed a few notable feature films, including Hello, My Name is Doris. He also did The Big Sick, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really, really great. I'm impressed by Michael Showalter Mm -hmm. as a director. I think he's actually one of the better directors we've got
0: in terms of dramatizing and uh, making humorous without just taking the piss out of it, Mm -hmm. uh, making light of modern relationships. Um, Hello, My Name Mm -hmm. is Doris is a really wonderful character piece starring Sally Field. It deserved a little bit more attention than it got. I kind of thought maybe she would get some awards mm. buzz for it but she did not. It was the one big Sick is one of those awesome. things
1: where were we had buzz but no actual nominations sort yeah. of like in uh, uh, for your consideration. I kind of th-
0: I kind of thought uh, uh, at the very least we get a Golden Globe nod yeah. but uh, yeah that's a really underrated movie I really like it a lot
1: and The Big Sick is as just as good as you've heard if you haven't seen it it is really great yeah, yeah. If, if I have any complaints about The Big Sick it's that it's just drab looking but it's a character piece so it doesn't yeah. really matter you, don't, you oh. don't
0: want it to be Two in your face, gorgeous. You just kind of um, want to make it like it needs to feel real. It's a real story.
1: Yeah, just yeah. A, there's there's a certain kind of visual drabness that you don't see in any kinds of movies. It looks like it looks like they shot in a dumpy apartment room for a lot of a lot of the scenes in that movie. <laughs> I don't know, I like but the way it, it, it doesn't it looks, matter because it's so well written and it's yeah. so well performed. And that one starred uh, Kumail Nanjiani, uh, who is a comedy powerhouse. He's one of the biggest comedy stars working right now,
0: and he's incredibly funny. And he's actually. <laughs> Uh, starting to become more of a presence in cinema, The Big Sick was a great. I mean, I think he'd been in movies before, but a good mm. breakout starring role for him. Yeah, um, yeah, he was playing himself, but not everyone can do that. And um, and then uh, he was in uh, Stuber,
1: which I believe was about a guy named Stu who had an Uber. I yeah, I think they were they were clearly playing on Stuber. Yeah, uh, the story of Stuber was. Kumail Nanjiani is in a car when a guy commandeers the car and starts murdering people. So it's and, collateral,
0: but it's funny. Uh,
1: yeah, well, and also The Lovebirds is about Kumail Nanjiani is in a car and a guy gets in the car and starts murdering people. So it's kind of a remake. Hitting the uh, formula. Hitting <laughs> the <laughs> formula, Kumail. Uh, in in Stuber, Kumail Nanjiani was the driver. He was an Uber driver. In this one, he's on a date with his soon-to-be ex-girlfriend, played by Issa Rae. And they are great together the first
0: three maybe four minutes of this movie is just them on like their first couple of dates Mm. it's all about getting to know them because soon we're going to cut to a couple of years later after problems in the relationship had set in Mm. but it's vitally important and i'm glad the the filmmakers acknowledge this that we don't meet them when their relationship is on the outs we have to want them to get together So, they only have a couple of minutes in a short prologue to make us love these two and want them to stay together, and they nail it. This opening is so goddamn adorable. Kamel Nanjiani (laughs) and Issa Rae are really perfect together. They play off each other really beautifully. They're romantic. They're funny. I would die for them. <laughs> I would happily lay down my well, life for this couple.
1: Also, um, I, I haven't seen the TV series Insecure with Issa Rae, Neither uh, but I did see the film The Photograph, mm. uh, which had Issa Rae in, and she's really, really terrific. I've, I was really impressed with her in the photograph, and I'm impressed with her here because the photograph was kind of a melancholy performance, and mm-hmm. this one she gets to be very broadly funny, mm-hmm. and she handles both incredibly deftly. Um, Uh, I I appreciate that it's a a romantic action comedy that stars two non-white people. That's very nice. Which is actually Uh, handled well in the story because the story
0: really kicks in. It's not just about they're cute and maybe they'll break up. We cut back to them a few years later. They've been dating for a long time. They've been living together for a while. And it's just a long day of bickering. And mm -hmm. it's not hateful bickering, but you can just tell they have problems in the in the relationship that have not been addressed and they're getting kind of tired of it. Mm. As they are driving to a party that malangiani <laughs> really doesn't want to go to, they realize the relationship might be over. And it's a really genuine, sad, mm. honest moment. And at that exact moment They hit a guy with their car, and then a cop shows up and says, I'm commandeering this vehicle. We need to chase that guy down because that guy they hit with the car just ran off. And they're, like, really gung-ho about this because this
1: is really cool. Like, yay, we get to be one of the good guys! Well, and one of of their dreams is they want to be on... The Great Race.
0: Uh, the Amazing Race. Or The Amazing Race. The Amazing Race. I mean, that's, that's Issa Rae's dream. Kumail Nanjiani doesn't want to do it because he makes real documentaries mm-hmm. and he thinks reality TV is
1: bullshit. This is gauche. But yeah. yeah, she she's all about the adventure. Yeah. She's the more adventurous one. Yeah. She, she makes a lot, a lot of illusions that she's into like... Orgies and group sex mm-hmm. That Kumail Nanjiani is not at all comfortable with
0: Yeah like he's maybe academically But as soon as he starts talking about it He starts thinking logistics And yeah. that's how you ruin an orgy hmm. Or so I'm told <laughs> uh, So the guy gets in the car They commandeer no, There's a big car chase And then they hit the guy with the car And then he runs over the guy with the car again hmm. And then again And just murders the guy Murders the guy Straight up murders him And then he realizes that the thing... He needed, like, the guy's phone as some kind of evidence. And they had picked up his phone after they had hit him with their car. And now he's about to kill them. But a whole bunch of shit happens. And pretty quick they realize it looks like they killed the dude. Mm -hmm. And the cops are going to be after them because they are people of color. And, yeah, we know what's going to happen. So they flee. And
1: they're Mm -hmm. adorable. Uh, They're adorable. The film isn't good, unfortunately. What? Uh, I've seen Date Night. Yeah, it's a form- and, it's a familiar concept. Yeah, or or, uh, or Game Night. Uh-huh. This is Lovebirds Night, and yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah, a formula. It's just one one really bad night as they try to uh, go through various crime shenanigans and solve what the problem is. The plot isn't interesting at all, and the actual like reveals and twists and turns in it aren't really well thought out. It all feels very perfunctory. Uh-huh. Uh, so we have this kind of sleepwalking movie, which is only being buoyed by two very charming people who are only allowed to be funny from time to time. Luckily when they are, it's very funny. And uh, clearly they get to improvise a lot and they're very good at improvising. And it's not one of those things where the camera just rolls And Mm -hmm. they improvise and improvise. And then the pacing dies. Like a Paul Feig, he does that. that No, this feels scripted. This feels
0: like, maybe they played with it, Mm -hmm. but... This feels like this feels pretty tight. It moves mm-hmm. along at a, at a steady clip. Yeah. Um, I have, but, while you were saying all of that, I was mm. fantasizing about strangling you. <laughs> because I had a wonderful time watching this movie. And well, I, I, I grant I, you, it's formulaic. Yeah. I, I, I saw the same movies you saw. Mm. I know all of the tropes for this. It's, any, it's everything from Manhattan murder mystery mm. onward, just a couple winds up. Getting involved in crime, and one of them is more gung-ho than the other, and they bicker and they bicker, and somehow the crime ends up saving their relationship. Mm. Okay. I'm not going to complain about that, because that's something we expect from romantic comedies is a certain amount of formula. It's comfort food. Mm. So I'm not going to really complain about it. What matters is that it gives them opportunities to play off each other really well, and every single time they talk to each other, I was laughing. Because I think they're wonderful together. And I Mm -hmm. really did care about their relationship throughout the entire thing. I thought they carried the arc of their relationship and how, yeah, this spiced things up, but will it really save them? Well, no, because they have other things they have to learn and do and talk about and, Mm. and deal with. And they managed to do so over the course of the film i thought pretty effectively well, but here
1: here's the here's my issue with the lovebirds it, it starts with them getting together and but when we meet them they're kind of on the outs and mm-hmm. partway through the movie they kind of realize realize finally openly and they just say we 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 broke up didn't we yeah like they didn't really they realize they got distracted yeah, well they got distracted <laughs> but yeah are, are we broken up yeah we're broken up and unfortunately this film strains against that really obnoxious uh obnoxiously against actual human credulity to get them back together again. And I don't want them to get back together again. You don't want them to get back together no, again? No, because they already broke up. Just People break up ways. all the time and
0: then get back together again. Sometimes it's fine. Uh, fine. Listen, maybe, my point, Maybe, maybe... maybe here's, right. here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. They dis- they realize that they broke up hmm. for reasons that if they didn't have to go through some ex- something extreme... Things that they might not have ever talked about or dealt with, and that their problems are actually solvable. All if they were married, script me ask you this: If they were married, and they were thinking about separating, and mm-hmm. then decided at the end to stay married, would that have changed the dynamic? Uh,
1: no, no. It's you, same, still think, same, you still think they're still they yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They had a, they had a bad argument. Mm-hmm. They think they thought they were done, mm-hmm. and they didn't get a chance to process that, and that's it for you. That's the relationship is dead you know, call it, the time is... 9:11 9:11 p.m. <laughs> Kunal Nanjiani mm. and Issa Rae's relationship is dead. Mm. There is no coming back from this. There is no afterlife for their relationship. It does, Let's just oh, burn well, them down to ashes and it, send it, them it, it off to the wind. It
1: would have been a lot more believable because they would hated each other and throughout this whole thing. I don't didn't think they like hate each other. I don't think they hate each other. Yeah. I think they
0: actually. I think the fact that they keep falling into these very natural rhythms, even when things mm. are really intense, shows that they don't hate each other. They actually like each other very much, but they have let. Uh, uh, resentments and anxieties and things that have gone unspoken Mm -hmm. go unspoken for so very very long that they became toxic and when you this this is basically Mm -hmm. like a shot in the arm of uh, like just 100% pure marriage therapy yeah you know pure couples therapy like like you know at the end of what about Bob death therapy this is I, death. I th- haven't
1: seen What About Bob. You've never but... seen What About Bob? No, I've never you seen You would what love Bob. What About Bob. I, I I went through a rather intense period of Richard Dreyfus hatred when I was like in, in my teens and 20s, and for okay. some reason I just steered around his movies. I don't have that anymore, okay. but I just haven't bothered catching Have you up seen Let, Let It, it Ride? Time. I've not seen Let It Ride. Either. Okay, we need to do a double feature of What have, About have, Bob and Let It Ride. I've seen Mr. Holland's opus, but I, had, uh... I don't give a shit. I'm talking about <laughs> Let It Ride,
0: Let It Ride, and What About Bob, our peak Dreyfus. Fuck <laughs> the goodbye girl. <laughs> I haven't seen Fuck The goodbye show either. <laughs> Fuck them both. It's all about Let It Ride mm. and What About Bob, two right. of the funniest movies ever made. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know, he plays, but, he plays you a know psychologist what you, uh, in What About Bob, and towards mm. the end, the pioneers this thing. He's actually just trying to kill a guy, but mm. he calls it death therapy because when you are confronted with a life or this situation,
1: it changes you. it.
0: It, it will it, literally, it changes your brain chemistry. Like, that's actually, mm. there has been studies about that. When you become into this, when you think that your life is legitimately threatened. Uh huh your brain like releases chemicals and it's never exactly the same after that. Okay. So it's kind of like that. It's just Mm -hmm. this extreme situation. That's why we write an extreme situation for these characters to see how it will affect the relationship. Mm -hmm. They get to do all kinds of, they get to break into places, Mm -hmm. beat up a guy, uh, they get to, uh, I think there's a car chase. Like they get to do a whole bunch of weird, crazy stuff. Mm. None of it is like, it actually feels kind of cheap. Like none of it feels like game well, Night. Was, they had these elaborate well, set again, pieces and, also, and game and,
1: night really, really leaned on the fact that these were characters in that film. They were played by, uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. Yeah. Rachel McAdams, who is a, a freaking star in that movie. She's amazing. Uh, in that. She's film. so hilarious. Um, they really lean on the fact that they're really, really unprepared for the scenario scenarios that they're encountering. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, they in, also in lean on the
0: fact of, that they're not entirely good people.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so they're it's all, they're kinda also kinda kind of bastards. So like, they, so, like,
0: doing all these yeah. horrible things isn't yeah, that they, far they, outside their the, wheelhouse.
1: The bit where, where Rachel McAdams says, oh, no, he died. Like, that part will always <laughs> make me laugh. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like in this film, they're just sort of, they're not leaning on anything. These They're just sort of in a wacky scenario. It feels like a sitcom. Yeah. Where it's, it's more frantic than it is meaningful. We're not learning anything about their characters okay. by seeing them in an extreme situation. They're just being bantery and charming. Luckily, they are bantery and yeah, charming. Yeah, I'm not going
0: to well. pretend this is but, meaningful. But the, I'm not going to pretend this is but
1: meaningful. But the, like the structure and the setup is all so hackneyed and played out that I'm not entirely okay. involved in this are you fa- Are you
0: familiar <laughs> with the concept of a screwball comedy where it's just about putting fun characters into wacky situations yes, and I, watching
1: I, them play? I'm not, I'm not against the idea of retelling an old story or revisiting a genre, but I want the filmmakers to bring a little verve to it. I don't know. To I, pretend like I, they care. And Michael Showalter isn't that kind of filmmaker. Okay. He does these intimate little character pieces mm. that work better in dialogue and small character moments. These broad slapstick bits, clearly he's not good at. I'm not well. They're not that he broad. Is, like maybe he is, but uh, they're just not that broad and anything.
0: slapsticky. Like it's never mm. like you know mm. the naked gun or some kind of total absurdity. Mm. It's just life getting a little weirder and everything they mentioned in their argument comes into play it's,
1: i do like a bugs bunny at one scene and they ruined this in the preview Kumail on johnny gets kicked in the chest by a horse which would kill him by yeah that. i
0: agree that one that one's that one was ridiculous
1: he, he's bugs bunny in that scene no no, no i'll
0: give you that that yeah. that kind of that kind of broke the rules of the movie yeah. i'm not gonna lie that's a problem hmm. It's like the only time that happens, I'm willing to be pretty forgiving about it, but and yeah, I'm and, not going to fight and, that. And there's a, clima- a there's
1: a climax that takes place in a theater, and it's so cheaply staged. And I know, just, like, it's like, funny. It's,
0: um, That's what somehow. makes it funny
1: to me. I like okay. that they take this... I'm not going to ruin what the climax mm. is, but the climax...
0: Yeah, there's a climax, and it takes place at a theater, and we're used to this kind of scene being treated different cinematically, and I like the fact that it's blasé and crap. I think there's something... I think there's something... It's taking the piss out of all of that. I don't know, it just looks like the
1: movie didn't have the budget to do what they wanted. I think
0: that... But I think they leaned into that, and Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you have Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae performing running commentary Mm -hmm. on a scene that ordinarily would be played very, very differently Mm -hmm. is them taking the piss out of a couple of different genres. So... Listen, clearly I like this more than you.
1: Uh, Clearly.
0: Uh, I'm not going to fight any of your criticisms about it being formulaic. Hmm. At all. I'm not going to fight any of your criticisms about it being a little shallow in the end. It doesn't have any deeper meaning to it. It's not the big sick. Uh, It is, however, very charming. Hmm. I loved Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae in this movie. I love them to pieces. I want to see them team up in other movies. Like, I would love to see this pairing Okay. in other films, which is something that you don't see a lot of, where like even something like Game Night, if Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams never worked together again, I'd be like, oh no, their working relationship died. <laughs> but like if if Kumal Nanjiani and Issa are never in a film together, I will say, that's a waste. They were so fun together. <laughs> they were so interesting together, I would love to see them do more. So, they're really, really great. It's a romantic comedy, you know it's gonna be formulaic, you're going in to have your faith in relationships restored, and see... Funny, charming, pretty people do some wacky things. The things are suitably wacky. They are wonderful in it. I laughed consistently throughout. Mm. The movie made me happy. (laughs) Okay. So, again, it's not my highest recommendation Mm. ever. It's certainly not the best romantic comedy I've seen
1: in years. It is, however, an absolute delight. I think it's fitfully funny. I think it's kind of of bland throughout. And uh, it's only saved by the charm of the two leads. That's not enough for you. Oh, it, it, it's not a glowing recommendation. I didn't, okay. I didn't hate it outright, but it's kind of disposable at the end of the day. All right. Well, let's let's shift to something completely different. All right. Because what a weird
0: double feature it would be to go from The Lovebirds, mm-hmm. which is on Netflix, by the way,
1: uh-huh. uh, to a movie that's on Shudder, Blood Machines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Blood Machines is. Okay, it's a music video. It's yeah. a 50-minute music video that Shudder, for some reason, is split into three like
0: episodes. I've heard some mixed reports about that, like maybe the filmmakers were down with that, but mm. I still think you should be able to watch them all clean through because they're clearly designed
1: to be watched clean Yeah, through. it's like what, In one 50-minute one one music like, video. Separating um,
0: moving the chapters is one thing, but you don't have to have an intermission every single time. Like mm. Quentin Tarantino movies have chapters a lot of the time. The
1: movie just keeps going. Yeah, they, didn't, yeah. they don't put it on streaming broken up yeah. like that, although they did do that with The Hateful Eight Yeah Um But yeah Blood Machines Uh I I say it's a music video Because it looks like A music video Everything is really Super stylized The lighting is Super oversaturated There's a lot of bright Pinks and greens Mm -hmm. It's it's like It's
0: like a slightly Darker palette But otherwise Just as colorful As the movie Speed Racer
1: Uh More or less It it reminded me a lot of uh, The the color palette Of Color Out of Space From uh, Richard Sandler Film from earlier this year There you go Um It takes place in the future on a distant planet Mm -hmm. where spaceships are essentially giant living organisms that have, like, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And the artificial intelligence. And a soul. And a soul. They're alive. Yeah. Uh, And their soul, as it turns out, can be extracted. And there are uh, some uh, high-tech, I guess not high-tech, sort of, like, shamanistic... Uh, uh, scavengers yeah. who find down ships mm-hmm. and can essentially use their sexuality to seduce the souls out of the ships. Yeah, and uh, there's a down ship, and these are very valuable things. These ships because they have souls; they're living beings. Yeah. Another ship has come to uh, salvage it, but so they get into a tiff mm-hmm. with the salvagers. Yeah. The, the,
0: okay, not okay. You're, you're making it a little unclear here. Uh, the ship has crash landed on a planet. Mm-hmm. There are the shamanistic. Uh, uh, Soul-sucking, but actually uh, very intuitive and beautiful uh, Yeah, tech wizards, basically. Mm. Uh, a ship is crash-landed on a planet. They want to heal the ship. Mm. Another ship lands. It has two pilots in it, one of whom is a fucking asshole. Another one is a very old guy who keeps having heart attacks and has to jolt himself back to life. <laughs> uh, they are here to salvage that ship. They're also investigating... This new occurrence that ships have started to become sentient, which is a problem. Like, it's affecting the order of things in the galaxy. So when they get there, and there are all of these space wizards who saying like, no, we want to heal the ship. And he's like, no, I just want to kill it and bring it back. It's not a person. And they're like, it is totally a person. Hmm. There's a huge fight. I love the gun that he has. He has this crazy energy gun (laughs) where it shoots a beam of energy, but rather than just go from place to place, Mm. it hangs in midair for a minute Mm -hmm. and is still dangerous. Like you could touch um, this hanging piece of energy. such a unique weapon. I've never seen that in a movie before. It looks really
1: cool. Lightsaber.
0: Not like that. Uh, not well. Yeah, I suppose not. No, like they don't just hang there for a minute and then
1: disappear in space. Uh, it, it's very, um, very eighties inflected. Uh, yeah. This this film, uh, sure. not not just in its color palette, but in sort of the design. Yeah, a lot of it feels like uh, like eighties sci fi writ large. Like if they had the budget to do this sort of thing in mm-hmm. the nineteen eighties. Uh, however, it, it is shot digitally. It's very crisp. Uh, it looks a little bit homemade, which it was. Yeah, uh, it was a Kickstarter production. Yeah. If
0: memory serves. Yeah.
1: Uh, but I think that that adds this weird sort of intensity to it. Yeah, it, it's got this... 80s sci-fi movies had this
0: homemade aesthetic where, yeah, sometimes you had some expensive visual effects, but you were still doing a lot of stuff by hand. Mm. That's something that low-budget CGI hasn't really had. Yeah, Low-budget CGI just feels faker than anything. Hmm. This is an interesting marriage where it is clearly CGI. It's a little has a sheen on it that most movies that are will have a lot of CGI don't have.
1: Mm.
0: On one hand, they heighten that for visual effects so that the colors ex- like pop like crazy. <laughs> but there's something re- they're really concerned about making it organic. I loved just watching like the scrappers ship land on the planet because mm, it's so got like, all it's of got these like
1: teeth in it. Yeah, yeah, it's got
0: all these like, it's got teeth like flower petals that move sort of organically and I've just I've just never seen that on a ship before. It was really <laughs> fascinating. Um So they managed to find a way to make this CGI through the virtue of its design and by always having it interact with an environment that's always raining on it or whatever, to give it that homemade aesthetic Mm -hmm. that, you know, is from a bygone era while still using entirely new visual effects. It's really incredible. Um, The plot goes thusly. The scrappers and the shamans get into a tussle. Uh, The scrappers prevent the ship from being healed. So the shamans remove the soul from the ship that soul ends up taking over like another ship and leading them on a grand chase throughout the galaxy into like a graveyard of ships and oh shit that's a lot of souls and I'm not going to tell you where it goes from there suffice it to say the climactic action sequence in this movie
1: (laughs) is something I have never seen before ever uh, the um I described it to my wife she said that sounds like something from a Radiohead video yeah Um, uh yeah, the the uh soul that they extract is played by an actress yeah. and and uh, a a, nu- a nude actress. She's just this naked woman is being sort of yeah. with a big uh glowing upside-down cross. So there's this weird sort of occultist uh symbolism going on throughout yeah. all of this. Also in in well, I guess what amounts to a subplot, the old guy is constantly having heart attacks, is having a conversation with his own ships, uh artificial intelligence, and we get the sense that this artificial intelligence is just on the cusp of rebelling. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it all culminates in a big spaceship battle, and it's but it's no, nothing, nothing you've ever seen. Before. Nothing like any other spaceship you've battle nev- you've this ever is, seen.
0: It's an it's a fascinating marriage of sci fi action and music video, and even some dance movie in there. Mm. Like it's absolutely thrilling to see all of these otherwise disparate ideas coming together in a very unique fashion and one of the things i love about it is that this could have just been an empty exercise mm. in looking cool there's actually a lot going on here but it's 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 done expressionistically it's done through uh minimal dialogue it's done through uh visual cues you mentioned the occult imagery mm. there's a lot of uh, subtext about uh a matriarchal society rising up against the patriarchal society because all the ships are female and all the assholes in the film are men and we see a lot of sort of inversion of expectations of where these kinds of pulp sci-fi stories are going to go uh there's a there's a obviously there's a conversation being had about how our reliance on machines is empowering machines and making them more indelible and making them more powerful and making them mm-hmm. uh, uh alive there's an animism mm-hmm. quality to this yeah, that i think is really fascinating
1: and and i do appreciate a lot of the symbolism and a lot of the imagery it's not as contemplative as all that i no, feel it's like too fast uh, paced to be yeah it, it just it's yeah. speeding by and clearly it, it functions more as a demo reel than i think a, a, a proper feature film it is only 50 minutes which is uh, which is
0: technically a feature film according yeah. to the academy Hmm. The rule is a feature film is forty-one minutes or longer. Okay, so, so fifty it's, minutes is technically a very short feature. It's, it's a very short, feature, a very but, short yeah. feature,
1: but I feel like, g- given you know maybe a full ninety minutes, it might be yeah. able to let some of those ideas sink in a little bit more.
0: It's a it, the film is a sequel to a music video uh, from the same filmmaker and the same musician Carpenter Brute, whose score That's is the, fucking awesome. It's the musician by the way, yeah. yeah, Carpenter Brute, If listen to his fucking music, he's so. It's such, such a fucking cool. Sounds like he's
1: kicking the wall of keyboards.
0: Yeah, I, I maybe Carpenter Brut is the name of a band. Actually, I don't mm. know. Um, but in any case, it the soundtrack fucking rules. And it, this started off as a music video for a different uh, number. It was called Turbo Killer, and you can see that on YouTube. Mm. The music video for Turbo Killer is delightfully nuts, and actually, it connects to this. It sets this up you don't need to see it and frankly it doesn't make a lot of sense in and of itself (laughs) because it starts off with like some weird guy with a shotgun making the soul of a machine dance erotically for him meanwhile one of these like super shamans is speeding towards it in a high speed car and then she like rams the car into the soul of the machine but because it's a machine soul it just ends up inside the car Mm -hmm. and then it ends up with all those guys getting in their Lamborghinis and chasing this you know techno shaman and this Mm -hmm. machine soul and and then they all like jump their cars onto a spaceship and then they start having a high speed car race on a spaceship in space mm. holy uh, fuck that's a lot of music it, video
1: it, it's pretty awesome it and, it, really and, and is. you're watching this thing and saying yeah mtv what are you doing yeah. they're all out there just put them on television i know just, i know just, they just gave just up block out 3 full hours for this this stuff. would be
0: the most incredible thing to discover like, yeah, all right. of a sudden, you're just watching MTV Watch, because it used to be, like, you watch MTV, they show the same five music videos over and over again, and, and then, then they have to play something some new one, once in a yeah. while, and all of a sudden, you see Turbo Killer, and you're like, oh, <laughs> what the fuck is this? I want to watch this music video all the time. <laughs> I'm going to call in and make sure they play this tonight, <laughs> so I can record it on my VHS.
1: <laughs> to quote Beavis, you're sitting around watching MTV, wondering, why am I doing this? And then a Guar video comes on, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, mm.
0: yeah this movie is the movie is an epic music video mm. it does have a narrative the narrative is you know understated in some ways it's not very well fleshed out but it's got big ideas and what I one of the things I love about this
1: movie
0: mm. if you, have you noticed there aren't any blockbusters out right now it's Memorial Day weekend <laughs> and there are
1: no blockbusters well, the lovebirds is the blockbuster. well no, but was, that, I mean. that was a
0: student release that we, moved to Netflix we were supposed to have this month. Like Black Widow. We were supposed oh, right, to have yeah, yeah. These a things. new Fast and Furious movie. Mm. These giant spectacle films. Mm. Love them or hate them. We are supposed to have giant spectacle films at this time of the year. That's their tradition. We don't really have those. Scoob was a bit underwhelming, wasn't it? <laughs> what we have yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. these giant... 200 million dollar blockbuster movies is Mm. this relatively low budget sci-fi 50 minute film that blows out of the water most of the spectacle films i've seen in the last year in
1: terms of innovation and creativity and in terms of having like something on its mind in terms of having eye-popping imagery it it stands heads and shoulders above something like well i haven't seen black widow but you know just your average marvel film um, yeah
0: like, seriously, like if, if you're looking for formula, there's stuff out there for you, obviously. The Lovebirds is very formulaic, and I liked it, too. If, on the other hand, you're looking for spectacle and you're okay with stepping outside the norm, watch Blood Machines. Get <laughs> no, Shudder, was- they have a free trial period, get Shudder, watch Blood
1: Machines. It's a short trip, but it is a trip. And I'll also watch cursed films and any number of things on Shutter because actually yeah. have a really good selection. It's a, It's a pretty damn uh, good service, honestly.
0: But yeah, Blood Machines oh. is is so far it's on my list of the best films of the year. Really? Wow. Oh okay. yeah. I mean, it's too early to say yeah. if it's going to end up there at the end. But mm-hmm. if I were to make it right now, Blood Machines would easily be in my
1: top five. Yeah, I I, I wish it were a little bit more substantial sure. in just terms of of scope. But I clearly they're working with a really small budget, and yeah. not every film has to be two and a half hours. Oh,
0: well, I just didn't. They didn't want to take a break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, for boring dialogue to establish, like mm. ah, let's talk about like how this world is constructed.
1: No. Well, they don't have to talk about the, how the world is constructed, but even just quiet moments mm-hmm. to sort of punctuate and yeah. you know, accentuate the bigger moments. There's which not you, a lot. You can appreciate. There's
0: a, there's a couple, but not a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, no, it's very fast paced. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, very really breakneck. But uh, you know what? Maybe the length is
1: designed to highlight that. You can mm. have a breakneck pace if it's only fifty minutes. That's true, and you don't need all that time to just to tell the story. If that's all you're interested in, and that in. may
0: also be one of the reasons why they decided to break into chapters.
1: Well, it, so that you can
0: take a break if you want to.
1: Also, it's it's a lot to take in. it's, yeah. it's so visually rich that you might want to sort of get up and you know get a drink while the credits from quote episode one run down. Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, anyway, highly recommended. I,
1: mm. I I loved it a lot.
0: Uh, let's move on to
1: uh,
0: while we're talking about art house weird stuff. There's a new David Lynch short film. There is. Yeah, tell me about it because I totally forgot this was out. And yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch it, so you saw this and I didn't.
1: Yeah, a couple days ago a short film that David Lynch had proposed in 2015 finally came out. It came out on YouTube. It's just on YouTube. Uh, on, and uh, David Lynch went into a, a collaboration with a Polish composer, his name is Mark Zabrowski. Yeah. And it's um, just a musical short. It is a music video. It's ten minutes long. Yeah. And uh, it was hand-drawn by mm. David Lynch. And What? It's an animated short. That's amazing. Yeah. And David Lynch has never been interested in sort of the high tech. He's always liked just sort of something that looks rich or more importantly, a little bit like shabbier and more handmade. David Lynch used to have a, a
0: comic strip
1: remember his comic strip oh, yeah, the angriest now? dog in the world yeah it was
0: just it was always one image it was backyard of a house see the house see the backyard see the dog in the dog house and the dog looks really angry and then there'd be like well there's v- v- like talking speech with...
1: bubbles coming out of the window we yeah, never just, see the people we
0: never see the people we just know the dog is angry and, that's uh, it
1: well and, and they, they say in the first panel is the same in every comic strip too it's like and this is the angriest dog in the world it is so angry that it is nearly comatose and all it can do is sit still and growl so it's yeah this little black dog with a pointy nose and we just say it so going that's all it does yeah and it never interacts with any of the, and then there'll just be the, a the dialogue comic comic balloon track. that will
0: be weird that's yeah. it mm. it's very shabby mm-hmm. but that's it's like, the point yeah, of that it's one. like
1: no dialogue no dialogue from the from the window i dropped a dish and that's the comic strap
0: yeah uh, <laughs> every week
1: every week so <laughs> uh he he's david lynch clearly has a sense of humor but i think he has a um a, 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 a wonderful approach to, uh, like, this kind of minimalist approach to his uh, his art, which looks a little bit, uh, uh, it's got thumbprints on it. A yeah. lot, of, lot of dirt and a lot of grit. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen some of his actual, like, physical plastic arts, uh, some of the sculptures he's mm-hmm. done, there's a lot of, like, roots and trees and mm-hmm. dirt. Well, that, he did
0: that uh, one with uh, uh, a sculpture that was made out of food and he had mm-hmm. ants eat it.
1: Well, it was a it was a, a clay head, yeah. And he put food inside of it so it would attract ants to his kitchen. And he yeah. liked seeing the ants crawling all over this clay. So head the ants were part in. of the statue. Yeah, 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 it's weird. He, he got a like a, a toy, like an action figure, and he he wrapped bubblegum around the head to look like it was not finished in some way. Yeah. And of course, if you talk to him about it, he just says, "Oh, I wrapped bubblegum around the head." Yeah, and, and, and okay, and, and is it like like God didn't finish making this thing? It's a bubblegum head. <laughs> you know, that's 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 what is the, the his only explanation.
0: One of my favorite things you do is David Lynch.
1: <laughs> can you do like a what? whole radio show where you play David Lynch? I, I, I can certainly try. Happy Martin Short does a very good David Lynch, I'm though. Sure I think does. he has me beat. Uh, but uh, one of David Lynch's installations was he got a bunch of dirt from out, from like out in his garden. Yeah, he brought it inside and just lumped it on a friend's coffee table. And then, like, pushed little thumbprints in it and put, like, little teeny sculptures in this big mound of dirt. So uh, when it comes to uh, a lot of his his art, uh, when he's sort of, like, speaking from his heart, Mm -hmm. it has that kind of gritty quality. So here we have an animated short. It's in black and white. And even though uh, in an earlier phase of his career he might be doing, like, hand drawing and it might look really kind of... uh, Jittery. He's using digital tools now. Hmm. He's found that film is too slow a process, and it doesn't facilitate the way he likes to create. So he's essentially doing, like, Flash or HTML5 style mm-hmm. animation, but it's David Lynch art. So it's all silent, and we see all of these kinds of abstract images. We see uh, this you know, very fa- slow, slowly fades into... Like there's a proscenium arch and then a, a little scene appears where there's a tree and a house and a sun. But then you realize the sun is like an aperture and a little like skull worm crawls out and hands grow out of the skull worm's eyes and eyes grow out of the hands, etc., etc. Okay,
0: then, I'm looking at still images from yeah. this and it's kind of freaking me out.
1: It's really kind of terrifying. And the music okay. and, you know, and it ends up with a bunch of deer skeletons prancing about in a field. Um, cool. It, which, I'm
0: never sleeping again.
1: <laughs> it It is very nightmarish, which is, you know, the MO for David Lynch. What I appreciate about David Lynch is that he really tries to keep that handmade aesthetic going, even as the tools have changed. Uh, if you watch something like Lost Highway, that's him, I think, at the height of his cinematic powers. I
0: agree. I love in, that in movie. Ter- in, the, in
1: the way he photographs that and the mm-hmm. way it looks and how uh, something like that could only gain those sort of textures by shooting on film. Uh, But at the same time, he feels that it was too slow-moving. He calls it, he called it a dinosaur. And uh, then you compare that to something like Inland Empire, which he shot on digital cameras. And he's just sort of inviting Laura Dern over to his house, and they're shooting in his backyard. And that feels really kind of shabby. But at the same time, it does feel in keeping with what he's always wanted to do in terms of adding actual... uh, his own sort of personal stamp, his own thumbprints onto something that he's working on. Right. There's nothing neat or clean about David Lynch's actual art. So this feels like an extension of one of his like artistic installations, something you might see on a projected on a wall at a museum. Uh, It, I can't give I can't for the life of you give you an interpretation. This, this is clearly str- I mean and that's something I've always observed uh, like observed uh, admired about the way David Lynch presents his art. He's just sort of opening up his own brain and letting you look inside. And and all he's saying is that's what I got. He's not really saying and and, and it reveals this about politics or society or sexuality or you know whatever he he doesn't have any kind of direct meaning other than to, uh, other than to sort of communicate to you an emotion. And usually that emotion is like fear and confusion. Uh, And this does that just kind of a a scary, confusing short. And I, I did enjoy watching it. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. David Lynch's art. I think uh, people looking for something a little bit more narrative focused or uh, humorous will be a little disappointed. Uh, Earlier this year, we got to see uh, What Did Jack Do?, which was a short that he released on Netflix on his birthday, kind of on Netflix, released unexpectedly. Hmm. And that one's really funny because it's David Lynch and he's having a a conversation with a cappuccino monkey in a diner. And the monkey has like a a human mouth superimposed over its face. So it looks like he's having this conversation with a monkey and it's very noir and they talk about some sort of bizarre murder mystery. Uh, And it's funny. Mm. You really enjoy it. This, there's no levity at all. It's just music. And a lot of the imagery was come up with first and then it was scored later. So it actually accentuates a lot of the, the death that seems to be hanging over this thing. Yeah. And there's like death and sadness and passion. And you can tell somebody has been harmed. You, there's no people in it, but you can tell somebody has been harmed throughout this. Wow. Um, sold. Yeah. It's, it's really quite good. It's 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, you know, to if, check it out. if you're not familiar with David Lynch, um, Interesting place to start. Well, I mean, uh, why not start with some of his shorts? He did start making short films back in the 70s when he was in art school. And you can see a lot of those on the Criterion Channel. Films like Six Figures Getting Sick, Mm. uh, which was about six figures getting sick. (laughs) uh, In in art school, David Lynch made an installation where uh, it was a bunch of uh, heads that he sculpted himself that Mm. had a, a... projector uh, and there were the screen Yeah, they had a projector on the opposite wall uh, projecting like vomit coming out of their mouths oh
0: what a delight yeah that what was, that was one time. of his
1: art school projects and and yeah. he has a film of it so you can see it on the criterion well that's channel. cool man uh, and so yeah, he's just sort of never really left that world. He's one of the kids who went to art school to become a really interesting artist and succeeded. Yeah, how weird.
0: <laughs> Oftentimes you hear about like yeah, these people went to this really interesting art film school and mm-hmm. then they made commercials and music videos and now they're Michael Bay. Yeah, and you're like, what? <laughs>
1: What? What? What happened? It's like, a, well, where, how did where, he get started? Like, what where, happened? Do we, where do we rank Tarsem on this? It's like, ooh, I'm using losing my religion. Ooh, and then he makes like some really yeah. interesting films, like The Cell and The Fall. And what happened to that guy? Uh, he's he worked a lot on TV. That's true. He did a lot of TV. Yeah, he okay. found it, I, I, Which is but I then, think it's easier made, for his weird aesthetic. To I get suppose so. It. But then he makes something like Emerald City, which is like feels more like a young adult novel. It
0: feels like him trying to sell out without actually giving up any of his aesthetic. <laughs> uh, but it's an interesting show. I didn't I didn't hate it. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to speaking of animation. Mm-hmm. There is a new animated anthology that is on Netflix.
1: Mm. this week. And I didn't see this, so tell me about it.
0: I'm really, really glad I took the time for this one. It's called Modest Heroes. It is a collection of three animated shorts. Ostensibly, the title is The Connective Tissue. These are stories of uh, modest heroism, not high adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's pretty thin. These are just three unrelated animated shorts. Uh, they come from uh, filmmakers like Akihiko Yamashita, uh, Hiromasa Yonabayashi. Hiromasa Yonabayashi is probably best known for stuff like uh, "When Marnie Was There." Oh, uh, yeah. He directed that, and um, oh, that,
1: uh, that's a that's an okay film.
0: I I, I like that movie a lot. You can, uh, you're wrong about everything. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Yoshiyuki Momose. Um, And all three of these people have worked at Studio Ghibli. Sometimes it's more evident than others Mm. that the Ghibli aesthetic was an influence. But if that is an extra selling point, by all means, let it be a selling point. By all means, check out this film. This film is about 60 minutes long. Each short is about 20 minutes. Mm. Um, And they're all varying degrees of wonderful.
1: Oh, great. Okay, Okay. So the
0: first one uh, is called uh, Canini and Canino. Uh, this is the one that's by Hiromasa Yonabayashi, and it is uh, a story of... It's actually really clever how they introduce it, because they introduce like a new kind of magical creature that we've never seen before, mm. and they managed to make to sell it immediately with one simple image, which is we're in a forest, it's a beautiful Studio Ghibli-esque forest, all very alive and magical, and there are a couple of fairies just flying around, dancing on leaves or whatever, <laughs> and then the camera keeps going down, 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 down into a babbling brook, and then we see that while fairies are flying around up there, there is also a series of like little fairy-sized people who live underwater in the stream, They're not people. They have to actually stand up and walk around. And sometimes they can be blown away by currents, which is very, very scary. Okay. And it is about uh, a father and his son and daughter. And they're just trying to get by. They're trying to avoid being eaten by giant creatures. They're trying to defend themselves. And at one point, the father gets swept away in the current and his kids need to find him. Hmm. Um, An incredibly simple story. Simple, perhaps, to a fault. Simple because... I'm oh, sorry, to a fault because there are elements of these creatures' lives that are unclear. And maybe would have we would have benefited from a little bit more explanation as to where did their mom go? Because that ends up becoming a factor in a way that I couldn't quite explain. Hmm. But this one is st- strictly there because it's incredibly gorgeous. Like, it is absolutely beautiful. It's an incredible way to uh, tell a story underwater in a new way like this, with people who aren't fish people people who can't like resist the currents everything is constantly in motion everything is constantly at threat it's absolutely breathtaking to look at it's not the best short in the series uh, the next one is called Life Ain't Gonna Lose which is an awkward title and I don't think it's been translated uh, uh, terribly well because um, I believe the original Japanese title is Samurai Egu okay Uh, a little little simpler, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is a slice of life story about, uh, a mother and her young son, kids like maybe six or seven. And he has an extreme allergy to eggs. If he eats eggs, he can die. He will go into anaphylactic shock and he will die very quickly. So the problem is eggs and egg products are everywhere. And indeed, there's a lot of Japanese culture in which eggs are very, very commonly found. There's a whole montage of just incidents that led them to live a life of constant terror and panic mm. over their child. Uh, like, they'll go to a festival, and people are just eating food with egg on it, and some a piece of egg will just fell on the kid once, and they had to go to a paramedic. The kid's incredibly vulnerable. Mm. And the mother is trying to live a life, she's trying to pursue her career, but she can't take her eye off the kid for a second because he is incredibly young and doesn't understand the extent to which so many things are dangerous to him. Mm. All he knows is that he's not allowed to eat the same foods as everyone else at school and makes it feel ostracized and sad. So the whole thing comes to a head when all of a sudden one of the foods that they buy regularly apparently they change the recipe and he's alone in the house about to go into anaphylactic shock. Mm-hmm. And the way that this whole sequence, this period of absolute intensity where this like six, seven year old boy mm-hmm. now has to actually do something for himself. He has to protect his own life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He has become his warrior. He has become his own protector. So incredibly well articulated visually. And you get to see, you know, like the hives on his body take on lives of their own, like hovering around him, like uh-huh. an aura oh, as, weird. as you know, the, the clean line work starts getting more blurry and, and, That's really, really cool. The the story itself, it's another one where the simplicity and the short duration of it leave some question marks. It really does feel like some of the things that the kid gets into could have been easily avoided. And he probably is old enough to know not to eat chocolate chip cookies just because they're around.
1: Hmm.
0: You should probably know that by now. So that's the sort of thing where I understand he's a small child, but I also think, um, come on. But it's all worth it for the ending. The great one, though, and the one that even if you miss the other two, by all means, see, the third one in the series, it is called Invisible. Uh, it is about a guy who is invisible. And okay. he's not like a mad scientist. He's just a guy who goes to work. He is invisible. His clothes just hang off of him, but like he doesn't have a visible head. You just see his glasses move around. Hmm. And nobody sees him. Nobody acknowledges him. It's hard to imagine he ever actually got a job. Because literally, he not only can he not be seen, computers don't register it when he touches them. He tries to enter a supermarket, and the beam no longer recognizes him and opens the door. <laughs> okay, his uh, his uh, his good, good. ATM card stopped working. Good, and, good symbol for isolation. And what it starts getting really, really incredible when you realize this entire time he has been dragging around with him uh, a heavy fire extinguisher, and you're wondering why the hell that is. Until something happens and he lets go of it, and you realize that he is so insubstantial that unless he's carrying something heavy, it mm. sends him floating into the air. <laughs> and it becomes this absolute panic attack as he is desperately trying to cling to something, anything, to avoid from being from drifting away and becoming nothing. Mm. And it becomes this incredible sequence that is just absolutely unique and distinctive and beautifully realized. This is this one is the perfect marriage of animation and substance. And it's got a really beautiful ending. And I'm a huge, huge fan of this short. Nice. So overall, it's one of those anthology films where there isn't a lot of connective tissue. It doesn't really feel like a film. Mm. It just feels like a delivery system for three shorts. But the shorts range from beautiful but insubstantial, uh, good but perhaps deserve to be fleshed out more, and genuinely amazing. All right. So I really, really hope people take the time to check it out mm-hmm. Again, it's only about an hour long You can totally watch a piecemeal if you want Because mm-hmm. they don't connect to each other um, And uh, yeah, it's on Netflix So please check
1: it out, it's really, really good Talking about a lot of experimental filmmaking and shorter shorter form films this week.
0: Yeah, I really like that. It's um, something that streaming is able to do better than theatrical experiences. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, since they gave up on showing short films before other films. Uh, And there's one more uh, new film that we're
1: reviewing this week, and only you saw this one. It's called The Painter and the Thief. Painter and the Thief is a documentary film. Uh, It's a Norwegian documentary film. It's available on Hulu. Uh, And it is about a real-life painter. Her name is Barbaro... I'm going to get it wrong. uh, Kisilkova. Okay. And she is... uh, She left Germany to work on her art in in, uh, the Czech Republic. Or, excuse me, she left the Czech Republic... To go to Berlin, then she went to Oslo. So she's been around, and she's been working on her art. She works in sort of a a hyper-realist style. She's sort of a, I guess you you might call her a rising star in the art world, Mm -hmm. but more than anything, she's just a very talented painter. Mm. And uh, one day, two of her paintings are stolen in a daylight robbery. Wow. And uh, evidently, they're really expertly stolen too. Like evidently, somebody it's a heist. Knew, yeah, it's, it's like a proper heist, really proper heist. Like the the paintings were removed from the frames in this really elaborate way that you know an amateur wouldn't think to do. Yeah. Uh, so somebody knows something about art, and they finally caught the guy. And the guy was named Carl Nordland. And Carl Nordland uh, claims to not remember the heist because he was really blitzed out on drugs. And in fact, he's been an addict for a lot of his life. He's in, in a usual movie. He'd be kind of like this no good Nick, this kind of waste almost a villain mm. character. Uh, this is documentary. He's a real guy. And the painter decides to track down and talk to the thief, a to find out what happened to her paintings. Sure. and And he claims to not remember. And I believe him, uh, but also to kind of understand what his motives were, who this guy is, and more than anything, just to get to know him. And a lot of this film is about how they kind of start to bond these two very different people and how their friendship becomes something very intense, very quickly. Uh, there's a, v- a wonderful, very, very heartbreaking moment early in the film where she sees this guy and decides to paint him. He's covered with tattoos, and he he looks kind of like a street tough. And she paints this guy, tattoos and all, in this hyper-realistic style. And uh, she reveals it, and he looks at the painting, and he can only kind of say a couple cuss words. It's just like, what the fuck? And he just starts bawling and bawling and bawling and hugs her and writes her this wonderful letter about what a wonderful person she is for really seeing him. And in very much the same vein as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, we understand that this guy's never really been looked at before. He's often looked over, and we eventually learn that he, what his deal is, how bad his addiction has gone, sort of the arc of his life, and how he became sort of a forgotten person more Uh, or less, and how this painter has looked at him for the first time. Uh, She, meanwhile, through interacting with him, uh, starts to reveal a lot of uh, insecurities about herself and how her, her current relationship kind of saved her life and how, when she was in Germany, she was under the thumb of an incredibly abusive boyfriend who actually like would beat her savagely. So, but that's revealed in like little kind of bits of information. Uh, watching a human being opens your heart, uh, getting to know a person that you, especially one that you would not look at ordinarily is an incredibly sensitive experience. Uh, unfortunately the film doesn't have a conclusion once it kind of has a lot of, cause you know, this, this is a filmmaker who's just following the painting and they're, they're just documenting. They're trying to figure out sort of where the story comes in all of this. And, As it turns out, it just sort of goes where... Sometimes sometimes you don't have one. There's not a button. There's not some sort of conclusion. It's not like Tiger King, where there's (laughs) freaky shit happening every day in these people's lives. Well,
0: sometimes there's just an organic conclusion to whatever you were exploring. Like, And then there was a... For example, there's a a documentary um, called Word Wars... Uh, which is about professional Scrabble, Scrabble
1: players. Scrabble players, yeah. I saw uh, that one.
0: A friend of mine was an assistant editor on that, so I could never like really review it. Right. Uh, but I did like it. Mm. And it's a documentary about professional Scrabble players that follow like four very different people mm. who play Scrabble and live their lives very, very different ways and they make their living winning at Scrabble at tournaments. Mm. It's a hard life. <laughs> it's a hard <laughs> thing to depend on. You gotta be really fucking good. But it's I was always fascinated by it because you know, these tournaments have hundreds of people in them. Mm. And they picked four eccentric personalities to focus on. And by sheer coincidence, and I won't ruin it in case you ever want to see it one of them wins at the yeah. end
1: <laughs> which one is, of
0: them just happened to win which is good luck for the documentarians amazing yeah. luck for the documentarians
1: yeah. like holy shit that, that's really fortunate as, as a Scrabble player that's a fascinating documentary yeah um, I liked it they, a lot they go into like the history of the game what yeah. words are allowed in certain countries what controversies words are, over words yeah, yeah like yeah. Uh, uh, they, they actually like zoomed in it's like some words are like they're not in the family they considered a family game like eight and up so yeah. there's not going to be vulgar words but professionally those are allowed so actually blowjob is a really good Scrabble word
0: because it's got a W and a J and a a a B two B's
1: Bs, so yeah and and, and it's a seven letter word so if you can play blowjob that's a bingo (laughs) Uh, there's also been some controversy um, you can't play the word Jew because it's proper in Scrabble but if you use it as a verb it's allowed which is fucked which up which is really fucked up because that's a really racist term but you know are racial epithets allowed i mean they are part of the lexicon so yeah these, are, some, controversies yeah, so these the are controversies the scrabble
0: professional scrabble players have to deal with it yeah. it's weird yeah yeah so yeah.
1: so yeah are are racial words allowed are, are offensive words allowed in scrabble and it turns out in tournament play maybe
0: i'm always fascinated by going back to the painter and the thief um yeah. Art Thieves mm-hmm. are heavily romanticized
1: in fiction. In movies especially. In movies especially. Thomas Crown Affair yeah. remake is a great, fun, sexy movie. Well, and, and you think of, uh, I forgot who played him, but there was an art thief in like Oceans 12. Oh, it was, um, um, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Matthew Amalro. Was no, it wasn't it, Matthew
0: Amaric. It was, um, uh, I want to say it's Vincent something. Vincent Cassell? Yes, Vincent Cassell. Oh, yeah, Vincent Cassell. Yeah. Okay, Vincent yeah, Cassell. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, So, yeah, they're they're usually, you know, black suit wearing cat burglars and and they always live the high
0: life. Yeah. And because they steal paintings, that makes them romantic, that kind of thing. Um, But you look at, like, the actual history of real art thievery and it happens. Uh, There's some weird stories out there. I always thought it would be a good idea to tell, like, a two part movie. Hmm. About the two separate times that Monks' The Scream has been stolen, <laughs> one time it got stolen by a guy who had previously been convicted of stealing another one of Monks' paintings, hmm. and uh, it was
1: weird. It was another Edvard Monk painting. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it was stolen, and it was this real high tech. It was this real thing, and it were people with guns and everything like that. And uh, every, even though they recovered the painting and arrested the people who stole it. They all got off on a technicality because, like, the police had entered the country illegally to make the bust, <laughs> and then like another time it got stolen again, and this one under kind of mysterious circumstances. And, and they never
1: for a while it too. was missing. Yeah, yeah
0: they like they caught the guys and the paintings were missing, and they never, to the best of my knowledge, they never revealed how they got it back or where it was. Which sounds like a lot of fun, yeah. doesn't
1: it? Doesn't that sound like an interesting movie? Well, I'd like I've, to see that. I've seen like raw camera footage of people stealing paintings. It's not like in the the Thomas Crown Affair, where you have like dummies infiltrating the museum yeah. and to helicopters pull the cameras. And, and you have and this shit. like super titanium briefcase to yeah. stop the, the laser giant wall that's coming down. And, yeah. and it's none of that shit. Somebody walks up to a wall, they take the painting off the wall, and they just walk very swiftly to the, towards the exit. Yeah, that's it.
0: Just avoid the security guards. You just got to make it to the. The exit and then you're done
1: uh, <laughs> that's it It's uh, unless you're trying to steal like the Mona Lisa or something you can probably get away with that if it's yeah. like, something you'd fit under your arm just
0: make sure that like your face is obscured enough and you're mm. good that's it yeah, you just it's, walk out we are not advocating this by the no. way but the point is is that people have stolen paintings in surprisingly mm. low tech fashions I'll
1: just say we're uh, we're under quarantine right now and a lot of those museums it's, aren't being closely watched uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not, uh, not encouraging uh, don't, nothing don't,
0: don't ruin my plans
1: <laughs> that, that's already happened actually somebody, oh, no somebody shit, tried really. to like go into an abandoned museum and take a bunch of paintings oh, they were caught. Oh, good <laughs> but like, I don't... it's not that easy I mean come on <laughs> <laughs> like, they got uh, nothing to do
0: but watch security footage nobody's
1: ran. in a bank i'll just go in and take the money no you're not it's a bank <laughs> yeah. They have stuff there to prevent yeah. that i've I read the story and just put on twitter darn they stole my idea <laughs> anyway uh, those are the new release yeah, reviews the, the last yeah, thoughts the, the just the the painter himself not a romantic figure yes yeah. he's kind of kind of a By general description, he would be called a lowlife, but this is a film that actually bothers to look at him, and that's actually a very uh, moving process. But unfortunately, the film, it's only two-thirds of a film.
0: That's a shame. Okay, so uh, those are the new releases. We're going to rate them on the critically acclaimed scale, Mm -hmm. if you're new. The critically acclaimed scale is from C- to C+, with our C being average. Most movies are average. A C minus is below average. Everything from we didn't particularly care for it to the worst mm. thing ever, and C plus is above average, mm. which is generally just we highly recommend it and could potentially be the best movie ever. Everything falls under that. So the Painter and the Thief currently on Hulu, Whitney, how do you how do you rate it, it on the it's it's, a high, scale? it's it's a C, it's a okay. high C.
1: Okay. Again, uh, it it does have a lot of actual grit and humanity, and I like the way it's made. I just wish. It, it, it had come to a head. You know?
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Modest Heroes currently on Netflix. Um, this is a lovely triptych of animated stories.
1: Triptych. It's sure. Pro- it's pronounced
0: triptych. This is a lovely triptych uh-huh. of animated stories. Uh, they don't like necessarily belong together thematically, hmm. but individually they range from beautifully animated to absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I do
1: highly recommend it. So I'll give it a C plus. Um, Fire Pizarre. Uh C plus. Why not? I, mean, I don't know. A new David Lynch film. He said he wasn't going to make any more films. And yet here they come. Well, the so, shorts, yeah. but still. Short. Yeah. I'll we'll, take it. We got a new, a new David Lynch animated short. I mean, how how cool is that?
0: Uh, blood machines. I will not make any bones about it. I am deeply in love with blood machines. I think it is an absolutely breathtaking marriage of music video storytelling, uh, ex- interpretive dance storytelling, sci-fi storytelling, pulp storytelling, and erotic storytelling. Um, there's nothing quite like it, and don't miss it. It's <laughs> fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is a pity that it's broken up. Uh, that that's that actually is a little bit of a, a fly in the ointment. But uh, it's yeah, it's it's really striking. It's really original. Uh, it it's. A little bit contrived in that 80s way, but in a way that I think reveals the passion of a filmmaker's rather than just sort of quoting influences.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not through a lack of imagination. It's Mm. uh, an attempt to contextualize it, I think. Uh, And the lovebirds. But but a a C plus. Okay,
1: and the lovebirds. The lovebirds. Mm, a low C. It's it's not a complete wash, but it's kind of a dull flick.
0: Uh, I'm going to give it a low C plus. Uh, And uh, as Whitney said. Uh, Yeah, it's formulaic, and it's coasting on the charm of its leads. Its leads are so charming, it it takes it to a C Mm. C+. The plot itself, just okay. But Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae are absolutely wonderful together. I laughed all the way throughout. Mm. It's delightful. Definitely the kind of uh, fun, freewheeling, romantic comedy that is just reassuring and makes Mm. you happy. Yeah. So I I can't really find any meaningful fault in it. Which brings us to Hell Comes to Frogtown. (laughs) we asked our patrons the best
1: film of 1988
0: what else came out in
1: 1988 <laughs> what are the best films of 1988 I don't
0: know but this is definitely not one of them okay Hell Comes to Frogtown 1988 is one of the one of the films we put on a poll on a Patreon every single week we put up a new poll mm. and our patrons get to pick one film in the critically acclaimed streaming club uh, this week we decided on fantasy sci-fi films on Tubi Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Hell Comes to Frogtown won. In your, in your infinite wisdom, you subjected us to Hell Comes to Frogtown. Hell Comes to Frogtown is a sci fi film, post apocalyptic, low budget, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper from the WWE. I think w- that was W-J-F a WWF F. at the time. At the time, it was a WWF. Stars Rowdy Roddy Piper as Sam Hell. Well, as in, what in Sam hell is going on around here? Yep. He is the most fertile man in the world. One of the only
1: ones left.
0: Yes. So, even though he's a criminal with a rap sheet as long as your arm, once the, uh, now an almost entirely matriarchal society, because most of the men died in the nuclear war, uh, decides, eh, it doesn't really matter what he did. We need his sperm. And we need a lot of it. So, so
1: they, they, they enlist him. Sandal Bergman uh, from Conan he, and Red Sonia. Uh, she joined, He's been strapped into a chastity belt by the state yep. because the sperm is now their property.
0: Yep. And if he, it's, uh, a, it's like if,
1: an inversion of The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And if
0: he gives them any guff, it causes a sharp pain in his in his in his wiener. And if he gives them too much guff, or even moves too far away from Sandal
1: Bergman, who is his handler, mm. it will explode. So if 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 everything goes, that's what's at stake. Yeah if Rowdy Roddy Piper fucks up His dick explodes That's a the great, movie What a, That's that's what in screenwriting terms We call the stakes uh, <laughs> Also there are frog people Also there's frog people That's not oh. just a name The guy's mm. name is Hell And he goes to a town Full of humanoid frog people There are close-ups Of Rowdy Roddy Piper Wincing in pain As his penis is about to blow up And it's some of the most Nauseating things You've ever seen in cinema <laughs> Like, somebody thought to point a camera at that and say, action.
0: (laughs) I want to make it clear here. I like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper was a fun performer in the WWF. uh, He's a a fun guy, but he's no movie star. He's not a movie star. He had one mode, and that mode was Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm. John Carpenter cast him perfectly in They Live. Because in They Live, he's just a big, affable guy who wanders into a situation that is way above his pay grade.
1: Uh, well, can you imagine though if someone like Sam Elliott had played that role? N- and I, I don't think it would I don't think it would have worked as well. Oh, yeah. I think it would've been too cool. I think the fact that he's just this dopey construction got worker got some, schlub. That's got some dumb dialogue for melt the high face. Yeah, he just yeah. Sam Elliott couldn't read that. To his
0: credit, <clears throat> the classic line, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and mull at bubblegum, hmm. that was rowdy Roddy pipers. Yeah, I can He did tell. right <laughs> Doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. It led to a small but but semi respectable acting career where he got to star in some cult movies. Hell mm-hmm. Comes to Frogtown is one of them. Uh he also s co- same, same years they live as well. Oh, weird. Yeah. He also co-starred in a really wonderful failed pilot that definitely should have gone to series with uh, Jesse Ventura called Tag Team.
1: Tag Team was pretty good. Tag Team <laughs> was adorable. Really funny. Uh,
0: Rowdy Roddy Piper and Jesse Ventura play professional wrestlers based loosely after themselves,
1: who get fired and blackballed from the wrestling league. So they have to find something new to do and they become cops.
0: Yes. After an initial montage of them trying to do other things and it being wacky like Mm. they become piano movers and they somehow manage to not only launch a piano from a roof. Yeah. It just lands on their car and it's just a hell of a thing. But yeah they become these big dopey cops who everyone like looks down on because they look like meatheads. But they're not bad guys. They're actually kind
1: of pathetic puppies which is what makes the series work so well.
0: They're just so lovable and affable and you just want them to succeed at everything and Like when they're fighting bad guys and they get To use wrestling moves they just my heart Sings <laughs> Tag team would have been a wonderful albeit Very silly show yeah. It's a damn shame we only got one episode, but that is online, and please see that. Watch Tag Team. Instead of Hell Uh,
1: Comes to Frogtown. Instead of, yeah, don't watch Hell Comes to Frogtown. The the, the plot of the movie is, yeah, so we we have Rowdy Rowdy Piper in this Mm. state-sanctioned chastity belt, and uh, in order to repopulate the planet, they have to bring him to where they know there are fertile women, because there are very few fertile women left on the planet.
0: Yeah, so they have to go Uh, into the wastelands.
1: Yeah, the wastelands, and the wastelands are populated by frog mutants, Yeah, and frog mutants have kidnapped all of the... The fertile women And I've uh, Forced them to live In the frog harem
0: Now just so we're clear There's like five Fertile women
1: Yeah it's, like just, five, it's not like There's sex. an
0: army Or such mm, no. It's they have to Go into They have to Sneak into frog town
1: mm. Not Frogtown, so, California, which is a real place. No, no,
0: no. Frogtown is uh, basically like a factory that they were able to shoot in. <laughs> it actually looks pretty good. Like They got like some different like locales in the factory, so it looks like they should...
1: actually have different rooms in yeah, the factory. I, and- I
0: will say this. If you want to look at how to make a sci-fi film on a budget, Frogtown is not a bad-looking sci-fi film considering no, how, big, how big it
1: is. Uh, how big and how... how... How dumb it is. Um, they they just make they, sure that
0: anything that they put on camera looks like it has some personality to it. Like yeah. when they go out into the wastelands, they don't just jump into any car. They jump into a hot pink old timey car with a and they just mount a gatling gun on oh, the top.
1: I don't know. I didn't think it was hot pink. I thought it was like like pepto bismol. Yeah, it was like pepto bismol pink. Eh, it's like kind of a gross fleshy pink color. Point is that it's pink. Yeah. Because they live in a matriarchal society
0: and they're about mm. to just take action, fight uh, off the bad guys.
1: Don't ever assume for a second, by the way, that this is any kind of like meaningful feminist parable. This, actually, this is actually a male's porno fantasy writ large. I, but I can't figure out what kind of... Here's the deal.
0: The sexual <laughs> politics of this movie are confusing as shit. Mm. Um, so initially, you'd think it's going to be the fantasy of, oh, the protagonist is the last virile
1: male. Mm, and all the women want to have sex All the
0: women, women. want to have sex with him, and indeed they do. However... He doesn't get to have sex with almost any of them. And when he does, it's socially awkward. Or worse, extremely painful. Mm. He is constantly being zapped in the dick, chainsawed in the dick. <laughs> like, it's all, prodded a, in the dick. This is
1: a movie with, like, frog mutants and the post apocalypse, and somehow the movie is all about Roddy Roddy Piper's <laughs> dick.
0: <laughs> and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm just. I get that it's kind of a of a of a sub dom kind of sexual kink here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In that, Ryder, I Piper seems like the tough guy, but instead, Sandal Bergman is like stepping on his neck, literally and
1: I think figuratively, like, or going around, but like yeah. throughout the film. Well, and she's she's like there, and she's like seducing him by proxy while he's having sex with another woman. And yeah, that, like that's a sexual fantasy. So, like,
0: and- here's here's I'm gonna let's just run through the plot because it's terrible. Um, so I do I do admit this. There's a it opens with a great line of dialogue because there's a voiceover.
1: Mm.
0: And I'm gonna g I I'm am i I'm paraphrasing here. In the year twenty oh five. Blah blah blue. Yeah, in the year two thousand and five, uh there was like what did, what do they say? What's the line? It sounds like a Douglas Adams line. There was a misca- there was a miscommunication. And then oh, we see a mushroom cloud. <laughs> we see a mushroom yeah. cloud. Just really underselling it. And then we see that like society has fallen. We cut to uh, society has fallen, and Rad Piper is in a chair being tortured to death by a guy whose daughter he was caught. He's he's being he's under arrest for sexual assault, by the way. And then it turns out that the daughter has changed her story because it turns out she's pregnant. So I don't know what to believe right now, other than this movie doesn't understand how women work or sexual assault works. <laughs> I don't know what the movie thinks is happening in this situation, Look, but this I am is... not
1: on our hero's side right no, now. But the... <laughs> You say you don't know what the, the, the sexual fantasy is. I know what it is, because I've seen it in so many movies. But I don't know what it is, uh, like, from personal experience. Because this doesn't sound like a sexual fantasy to me. This idea that I I have to be in a scenario where everyone in the world is dead in order to, like, have the orgies I want. Like, I need to be in... Like, I have... I. Project myself into the scenario where I'm the only person and every woman in the world wants to have sex with me. Here's the thing, though. Hmm. He doesn't want to have sex with everyone
0: in the world. Once they get out into the wasteland,
1: Hmm. because
0: they take him out to the wasteland pretty quick. They establish that he's got this chassis belt that's going to blow up. They find a runaway woman. She's run away from Frogtown, and she's basically feral. Yeah. But she is fertile. So, Sandal Bergman has just said, "Okay, so here's what here, here's what you're here to do." And he's like, "Uh, that's not cool." Mm. She's like, "What are you talking about? It's what you're here to do." He's like, "Yeah, that's not really what I'm into." "Oh, this isn't doing it for you?" "No. <laughs> I want to talk to her and have a connection and then and like consent. Mm. And like I want oh. this to be cool. I, I want I want the <laughs> at least the capacity to seduce this woman." Yeah. So they have to talk him into it, and then they try to do this workaround fix where the next morning, this completely, like, feral woman that they found in the woods, because she had sex with Rowdy Roddy Piper, now she knows English, and is totally talking, it's just like, hey, thanks for everything, and hey, you were great, that was totally consensual. And I'm like, wait a minute, movie, this is fucking weird, and I don't think you have any idea what the hell you're talking about. She's so just really happy that she might be pregnant. And, like, she just goes away. And I'm like, yeah. okay, oh, this is fucking weird. Okay. <laughs> they go to Frogtown and, and they have to pretend that Rowdy Roddy Piper has captured Sandal Bergman to join the new frog harem. Mm-hmm. That's their excuse to get into town. And they go into a frog bar. The bar is full
1: of frog people. The, the frog, there's two kinds of frog people. Yeah. There's a, f- a frog stripper. And she is an actress with makeup, so we can actually see her real eyes. And there's yeah. a mouth that articulates her jaw. Yeah, of more like of a, a
0: half-human, half-frog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
1: it's not explains why some of them look that way and why mutation. I suppose so. And the rest yeah. all have just like big frog heads.
0: Yeah, they, and, they look like uh, uh, Frog and Toad are friends. They look like just frogs, yeah, frogs wearing clothing. He, exactly. Well, yeah. the,
1: the frog bartender in the Fez made me happy. I'll say that. <laughs> he looks,
0: he, yeah, he looks like he's Sydney Green Street in Casablanca, and they just put and, like uh, a Fez up. And, as soon and, as I saw that like, guy, I'm like, I'm in. This movie's just gotten and, a lot better. And, and, he, he doesn't
1: ha- and he doesn't have like a frog voice. It's like, hey, what's going on, man? Want a drink? And it's like <laughs> this weird frog. It's, it's like something out of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And, yeah, it's uh, super silly. It, uh, and I like that scene. Um, yeah. The frog the effects fro- are pretty good. Well the, for the frog for the, budget. the frog masks are, are detailed, but they're not articulated. They yeah. just have like kind of Muppet open and close kind of mouths but that the, open and close in a really awkward sort of way. I think they knew what was important,
0: which is look, we're not gonna get the mouths to move too detailed. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna get the eyes to blink.
1: The texture needs to look right,
0: mm. and the texture does look right. Yeah, they, they the texture
1: the, looks froggy. They put the frogs like in, in like eye patches and sunglasses to hide the <laughs> fact that the eyes are just sort of dead, still eyes. I know it's really fucking funny. Um, uh, yeah, and there's uh, there's the frog uh, bartender, there's a frog thug, and there's the frog harem keeper, like the frog lord. Yeah, frog is whose name is Toady. Toady, which is a little confusing because mm-hmm. um, he's a froggy. And uh, uh, but, and this always and this brings up something that I've always hated about like sexy science fiction with creatures Mm. Uh, and this is something like you might see in deep space nine because the ferengis like really highly fetishize human women and then bajoran women yeah and it's like well why are you fetishizing them they're not your species
0: Mm
1: -hmm. they don't look like your species i think when you have multiple
0: sentient species who have Mm -hmm. similar characteristics Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're gonna run into that there's a character in doctor who uh named uh, captain jack harkness yeah no. uh who is from the future and, it, and from <laughs> from outer space where they've met all kinds of different entities uh with you know all kinds of different genders uh-huh
1: and he's had sex with all of them. <laughs> he's the, the, omnisexual. The, the, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, like the actor, just, uh, once, the actor John Barrowman has said, anything with a postcode. <laughs> yeah, like he's just,
0: it's it's once you live in a, in a society where all of these creatures are intelligent and able to consent and mm-hmm. wear similar types of clothing, for example. And it's going to really challenge our ideas of mm-hmm. sexuality. So I think a lot in of the, these sci-fi I, stories, mm-hmm.
1: anthropomorphic animals, let's have sex with them. That's, well, the, the, thing that's is, the idea, isn't the, it? The anthropomorphic frogs are, like, keeping human women in their harem, but no frog women in their harem. That, that's the confusing part to me. They're but racists. They, I, I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> They're bad guys. Well... It it, it highlights something that I heard. The only frog woman we see is a sex worker, though. She's a stripper. That's true. Uh, And I I don't believe I'm about to do this, but I'm going to refer to something Jim Wynorski once said. Ooh. Uh, Jim Wynorski is a sleazeball, by the way. Yeah. He he does a lot of just really... He's done some, like, notable cult movies... Um, he's done a lot of really horrible, borderline yeah. porno movies. He, he's done um, a few
0: films you might have heard of. He did "Return to Swamp Thing," which is actually kind of watchably silly. Yeah. Um, but most of his career is doing softcore smut. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually yeah. got to meet him once, and uh, he uh, he he was working on a film called P- "Pleasure Island," "Pleasure Hunt." It was okay. it was some play on sounds about ple- right. "Pleasure" I- or "Treasure Island." It ended up just yeah. being called "Treasure Hunt!" Exclamation point! Because I guess. Whatever. pleasure hunt was too porny I don't know but uh,
0: <laughs> can't, can't give it all away in the title I, you I won't got, know that you get pleasure until you see the film
1: I got to watch this movie because I was working for Corman at the time and I also I had to, I was doing quality control so I had to make sure yeah. like the the commentary tracks were working and Jim Minorcy on the comedy commentary track said he was asked by someone once why in his movies he always casts like you know playboy playmates and really buxom bikini models and women who are really really beautiful and he puts them in these tiny skimpy outfits and the men are all these sort of pudgy, dumpy guys. They're yeah. never like studly, good-looking guys in tiny outfits, like, you know, twinkie guys with six-packs. You know, we want to see yeah. two attractive people get it on, right? Why not? And he explained, well, the people who are renting these, and uh, he, he he actually said this, the people who are renting these movies are dumpy, unattractive men. Good-looking guys aren't watching my movies, mm-hmm. so I want. The... I think
0: it's interesting to note that he doesn't think women are watching his movies. Either. No, no, he yeah.
1: understands that. He's well, I don't his... but understands
0: but because there's a lot of women, I think who want to watch erotica, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot that's made with a female gaze yeah, at all. Th-
1: this, this is. 120% male gaze these yeah. movies. And he said, the, these dumpy, lonely, single guys are going to be renting these movies and getting off on these movies, and they should be able to see themselves getting off with hot women.
0: That's the career of Ron Jeremy in a nutshell, basically. Uh,
1: yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like that's what's going on with something like Hell Comes to Frogtown or, mm-hmm. you know, Ferengi fetishes, like where somebody's projecting a, like a dumpy, unattractive man with a hot woman. <laughs> Right. And, and tapping into this very base sex fantasy. There
0: are complicated issues of physical representation in mm-hmm. erotica throughout the entire mm-hmm. spectrum of erotica, where people who don't look conventionally attractive are mm-hmm. often uh, uh, but, are often absent. Mm-hmm. By conventionally attractive, I just mean you know magazine cover kind no, of thing. It doesn't mean you're not incredibly beautiful, but there is a particular a look. look. Yeah that a lot of uh, uh, artists or uh, people who make erotica or people who sell magazine covers or hire models that they're looking for. Uh, and, and if you don't fall those, into those, those very... And those looks
1: change. You know, it's, true. It's, it's that all evolves fashion, over fashioned you know.
0: But there's still a general... I'm not just talking about hairstyles, like body My point is, whatever change. is popular at the time, if you don't fit in that, mm. uh, all of popular culture is sort of designed to push you to the side and make you not feel seen. And mm. It sucks it completely sucks it even it sucks on every single level it sucks that there's like oh there's erotic films but they only show women of one body type all women can be sexual if they Mm. want to you know it's a it's not something that needs to be, like, constantly affirmed by dudes who have only one idea of what an attractive woman looks like.
1: Well, and and by that same token, whenever yeah. uh, we try to eroticize a male body, right, uh, it's always seen as something very comic. Yeah, uh, Look at the entire career of Will Ferrell. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember he came out with a film, it was, was called Semi-Pro, his basketball movie. I didn't or, see that one, or, but yeah, that was it. Um, the... the the main joke of the movie seemed to be from the advertising that he wears really short shorts and he shows off a lot of leg Mm -hmm. and the, the advertising was all him like showing off his legs. And the idea is he's very confident. Uh, surely, somebody finds Will Ferrell attractive. He's a sexual being. Why is he putting himself in this position by exposing the male body as this sort of comedic thing? Mm -hmm. It's humorous when a man has confidence in his own. It's an
0: immature. I mean, not that, not that the human body can't be humorous as well because it does some stupid things, but uh, yeah, it is immature. The way that male sexuality is treated Mm -hmm. here. And indeed, the male sexuality is treated just as one giant dick joke while women are objectified throughout mm. this entire film. However, this, this it's is, worth it, pointing out. It's an
1: insanely immature move. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, it's called Hell Comes Frog Town. That's
0: kind of my point yeah. here, which is one of the reasons why I'm having trouble finding catching a bead on the tone of this film. Because mm. on one hand, hey, you yeah, know, well. there's there's nudity. There's sexuality. Sandal Bergman, you know, gets to wear a variety of fetishy outfits. Um They wanted her to be nude in the film, and she actually made sure it was in her contract that she didn't have to be, so she isn't. Good Mm -hmm. for you, Sandal. Um, But uh, it's also damn goofy. The movie knows it's fucking stupid. Yeah. They never pretend it's not fucking stupid. And they never actually fully commit to anything. Even when it's trying to be sexy, they always pull it back with another stabbing Rowdy Roddy Piper and the dick joke. Or even if it's supposed to sort of be on its own, like there's this whole bit where uh, Sandal Bergman has been uh, apprehended by the frog people and she is going to have to perform a strip tease for the leader of the frog people. And Luca, get off the counter. <laughs> Luca, Luca, don't, you're sitting on the cereal boxes. Just, just why don't we come over here? Why don't we come over here and you help <laughs> me read this dumb movie, okay?
1: Did Luca watch How Comes to Frogtown with you? He slept through it. <laughs> no, no. I almost did. <laughs> um 87 minutes and I still felt nearly fell asleep. I know anyway, there's this whole l- luckily it's only 87 minutes.
0: There's this whole sequence where these these scantily clad women are there to awaken Sandelbergman's inner eroticism or mm. whatever which consists entirely of lightly waving veils at her. It's mm. not erotic or nothing but they treat it like it is. Yeah, like And Sandal Bergman's like, oh, that's the stuff. And I'm like, just lightly waving a cheap veil at you? I I I can get that from Joanne's Fabrics for a dollar. Yeah, but you can't get that powerful frog pheromone. Well, you got me there. (laughs) (laughs) She dances for the frog monster.
1: The frog monster goes, yes, yes, I don't want to... Again... I don't want to look at Roddy Roddy's, Roddy Roddy Piper's face close up while his dick is being tortured. Uh-huh. And I really don't want to see a, a toad monster getting horny.
0: Yeah. Like... If you want to see a toad monster getting horny, that's fine. This is the movie for you. Mm. Uh, but that's not, it's not for us. <laughs> and we're watching this and it's just very confusing and it's hard to tell what I'm being, supposed to be interested in right I now. You're being so sensitive to every one of our listeners. Well, I will try. And, um... So uh so yeah, so they manage to escape and they basically the last act of the movie is Mad Max Fury Road, where all of these women have escaped this harem from this horribly sexist, evil, fascistic leader, and there's only one guy and he's kind of just along for the ride like yeah he's good in a fight but he's not doing the most of the work and there's a big car chase and by a big car chase i mean a pink car drives through the desert and then we see another car drive through the desert
1: and, and that was full of frog people there's some bullets
0: too. there's some bullets a couple of explosions in the desert and it turns out that the one other human dude we saw in the movie was actually also a bad guy who was buying uranium from the frog people so that he could have a nuclear bomb and Take this matriarchal society and give it back to the men folks. so he's got to die real bad, and he does. And Roger uh, Rabbit of Hyper thinks, "Oh no! All the women have died." Oh no, this is sad. I'm gonna have a moment where I get to act. And then Sandal Bergman, who for some reason had a change of clothes out in the middle of the desert for no reason, just comes in wearing a new outfit. God only knows where she got it. (laughs) And it's just like, no, we didn't die. We just left for some reason and now we're here. And he's just like, great, now I can date you, Sandal Bergman. And Sandal Bergman's like, no, you have to have sex with all these other women first. And I love that the ending of the movie isn't him going, yeah, with like a freeze frame. Oh. Like, oh, I don't want to. I have a girlfriend and I'm committed now. And I'm like, it's an interesting take. You were kind of leaning in the other direction and then you
1: went <laughs> I don't know where you're at, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah, I really don't. Look uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, yeah, it's a silly cartoony movie. It it doesn't feel fun just because it's just so gross. There's it, moments he, I thought were entertaining. like like, like when, the, when, the Frog and the Fez, for instance. Yeah. And or then, when the
0: uh, Red Red Piper is uh being tortured by an evil frog monster and he's oh, like the, taking a chainsaw and a chastity out of gas. belt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all of these things are kinda funny. Kind, you know? in, in
1: a slapstick sort of way, but this feels a lot a lot less like um I don't know what what would what, what even compare this to. What's I a, what's don't like, know. It's like a fun monstery kind of action, humor, comedy movie. Humor, comedy. I don't uh, know. What do you? Freaks. Alex Winter's freaks, uh, which is really kind of st- more of a broad comedy, but okay, broad slapstick yeah. comedy with creatures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, what, it, Gremlins Two uh, uh, Arena. Uh, arena there you go arena is a film
0: nobody talks about from like 1989 1990 Mm -hmm. and it was a low budget sci-fi film set on a space station it actually stars actors from babylon 5 and deep space 9 total Mm -hmm. coincidence really funny um and it's set on a space station and it's about the first human fighter to enter a fighting tournament for aliens and all the aliens are these really cool makeup and animatronic Mm -hmm. monsters and um it does a lot with its budget It's a lot of fun. It needs to be rescued from obscurity. It's It's quite good. It's the good way to do something like Hell Comes to Frog Town, where it's really genre-y and requires a lot of practical effects, but clearly we're on a budget.
1: Uh, Did I tell you I have a four-in-one DVD set that has not just Arena, but also America 3000? Yeah. Eliminators? And uh, I think Crash and Burn, the Robot Jock sequel.
0: And did you know that that has mm-hmm. been on my Amazon wish list for a few years now, and no one has got it for me?
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry.
0: I'm not. I'm done. You can, you can borrow mine. I'll no, buy it for no, you. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a birthday coming up in next March. <laughs>
1: But with How Comes to Frogtown, I'm not getting an arena sort of vibe where they're actually like enjoying the world that they're creating and putting like a lot of attention into how mutant frogs came to be and how it is kind of cartoonish. And there's no like Planet of the Apes kind of vibe. This feels like a late night like Cinemax movie, Mm. like something that was existed just to deliver breasts to young, like teenage boys who had stayed up past their curfew. Right. Um. It's really, really sleazy is my point. It feels really unsavory. So it's not fun to watch, even though it's silly, even though it has like maybe two or three laughs. I'm walking away from this thing feeling really unclean. (laughs) Okay, well, how do you feel about uh, the rest of the Frogtown franchise? I assume there's, you watched all four films. I only watched the first. I know there's four. Yeah, uh, and the the third one, from what I understand, was like released twice under two titles, so you have to figure out. Okay,
0: here's here's yeah. here's the series, and I didn't watch the other ones either. But in mm. case you want to check them out, the second one is called, fittingly enough, Frogtown Two.
1: Or no, it's called Return to Frogtown.
0: Town. Uh, I've on IMDb. It's Frogtown Two. Oh well,
1: okay. Alternate titles. Uh, I've seen c- it at. at it's. Mm. It's actually they actually have it at our local video stores, uh, Cinephile Video. Uh, uh, if you live in Los Angeles, they're open now. Yeah. So they'll do door door drop offs. Um,
0: uh, yeah, you can't enter the store, but they'll. Yeah, they're, they're actually. Uh, if, if they're, you, they've got the films I need to watch for uh, the upcoming episode of Only the Best on our Patreon, so yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're gonna Great, go. There. Very grateful to Cinephile. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for uh, providing many of the films we reviewed on many. And, of and our
1: please shows. go there and spend a butt- buttload of money there.
0: Yeah, and they have they fun, see. even if you don't live in LA, like they have like. Shirts and stuff, I think you can order them online, right?
1: I think they I think I've seen them all ma- around ma- the world. Yeah, uh, in, in fact, in the movie Funny People mm. or the, what was the one with Adam Sandler and stuff Funny People. It's called Funny People. Yeah. Uh, he's wearing one of the Cinephile shirts oh, in the movie. Yeah.
0: Um, in any case, uh, yeah. The next one's called Frogtown Two we Return to Frogtown. Uh, and that one is about a uh frog mad scientist who wants to unleash a plague that will turn everyone into frogs. Uh, and in that one, guess who takes over for Rowdy Roddy Piper? As Sam Hell.
1: Oh, it's not Ready, Ready, Piper? No, oh, they could not keep him back. on board. Oh, uh...
0: Guess who it was. Oh, I
1: know who it is. Uh, it's Robert Zidar. Isn't Robert it? Zidar! That's right!
0: The immortal Robert Zidar, who is sadly no longer with us. Robert Zidar, who was the star of Maniac Cop uh, and Samurai Cop, and he's got this incredible chin that can, like, crush walnuts, <laughs> and uh, he was just a fun character actor who wasn't a particularly good actor but he was always fun in everything he was in yeah, yeah. so he he started not, in the... not, not
1: a good actor by his own admission too he, he's oh, not yeah. gonna say he's like Bruce Campbell's like I'm not a great actor I'm just in these B movies
0: yeah but he acted a lot and good for him yeah uh, and then the sequels they were replaced by an actor named Scott Shaw and the sequels had titles like Toad Warrior and Max Hell Frog Warrior Max Hell not Sam Hell no I guess there's a he has a brother or something Brother, son. Some, oh, I guess maybe. Progen- right. uh, yeah, he is Max Hell. Maybe, maybe he's not playing the same character in this one. I don't know. All right. <laughs> um,
1: okay. In, in Hell comes to Frogtown it's definitely Sam Hell.
0: Oh yeah, because they're very specific about it. Because get it, it's mm-hmm. a phrase. Yeah. In any case, if you want to see Hell Comes to Frogtown it, it's on Tubi. It's on Tubi. Tubi TV. Uh, TubiTV dot com. TubiTV also has uh, you know uh, streaming tu- services. T- t- about-
1: tu- TubiTV. Or was it Tubi.tv? Yeah, I it was Tubi. Tubi,
0: okay. Well, in any case, uh, that's there. It's also available on various apps like Roku and PS4. They have a lot of weird cult stuff. Uh, it's a, a bit of a lot mixed of bag. Fun,
1: but fun, good cult stuff. But like older cult stuff, cult too, cult like from stuff.
0: the 60s, 70s, and 80s, if, and
1: 90s. If you want to know what it was like for uh, people of William and I's age to go through a video store... And just sort of scrounge through their cult section looking for good movies. In
0: 1992.
1: It, yeah, in, in like Yeah, in like the mid-90s. yeah. Going through Tubi will really accurately replicate that experience. It
0: wasn't like, oh, we can always get every popular movie all the time. No, that's why they had the crap. (laughs) That's why they had all the cult movies. That's one of the reasons why there was this huge resurgence of low-budget cult and genre films, because now there was a place for it. And in the early days, in the early, early days, when video stores just didn't have a lot of content... A a company like Troma could clean the hell up because people just needed something else to rent on their VCR.
1: In fact, uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown was distributed by New World Pictures, which was Roger Corman's label yeah and uh roger corman rather famously has famously said he's never lost money on a picture and that's because he pre-sold them yeah uh he the movie did not need to be seen in order to make money Mm -hmm. uh which was really kind of brilliant from him brilliant of him from a business perspective
0: and he knew how to keep the people who worked for him relatively happy because Mm -hmm. if it doesn't matter how it turns out go nuts
1: yeah, just do, do whatever what you, you want.
0: Really, I mean, within reason. Like he did re-shoot things and recut things once in a while mm-hmm. if he felt that they needed
1: more breasts. But, but like, like I said, I, I I interned for Roger Corman. Yeah, and I, I have the, I've told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I love it. Um, he he's a tall guy. He's got a deep voice. He's an imposing figure. He's Roger Corman, and he run and he runs his business like it's a business. He's actually pretty strict. He's really yeah. by the. He books. takes it he's, seriously. Yeah. yeah, He's not like oh, I got skulls around my. No, he's not like he's not like that at all. He's no. actually very stern. And uh, I went down to the editing bay and I was helping out with some editing stuff. Because I'm just unpaid intern. And he comes down and, and he's like watching a scene from a movie. It's an up, upcoming uh, sort of sexy version of Gladiator. This was around mm-hmm. the time the movie Gladiator came out. It was his movie, which in America was called Gladiatrix. Was I really, remember that, yeah. It was yeah. released overseas as Gladiator Part 2. Oh,
0: <laughs> fucking Rod. <laughs>
1: Raj He he was watching this movie and there's like some action scenes and then there's this like hard cut to a new scene and I see him that this like and he's in the 70s at this point he's kind of stroking his chin looking at this movie he just sort of pointed at the screen and said there needs to be more nudity there and very very seriously it's like not yeah. not in a pre way at all there needs to be nudity it's, there. it's like
0: it's like a chef going through the kitchen and it was he's just like, like add paprika n- not enough tarragon yeah, yeah. It's,
1: uh, there needs to be some nudity and it's like this man knows his business he knows the kind of film he wants to make his business is crap yeah it's like <laughs> I, I know how to make these crappy movies there needs to be some nudity right here on, yeah. on page 15 I know what people you know. want sadly <laughs> <laughs> I know have I ever lost money am I rich well yeah then listen to me <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like it you can leave which
0: everyone does after yeah. a couple of movies <laughs> and then they often go on to amazing things you ever see The Godfather you ever see Goodfellas any- you're welcome <laughs> you are fucking
1: welcome <laughs> And then he he and he was like a deep dyed in the walls mm. cinephile like he knew he had really oh, yeah. good taste in films oh yeah uh, he, and he was responsible for
0: bringing like, over a like, lot I'm of our our uh, international like, films. movies I was yeah. I was uh, uh, we just did an episode of our podcast episode zero mm-hmm. where we talk about all the movies that inspired Star Wars some of which are very famous and some of which are relatively obscure and we just did an episode about the Akira Kurosawa film Dersu Uzala which is an Oscar winning film about a Russian cartographer who befriends a strange little man in the forest and. They form a form of valuable friendship that lasts many many years when trying to find a clip to play on the podcast I found this original 1970s trailer and it shows all these beautiful imagery and this wonderful music and then the first thing the voiceover guy says is from Roger Corman <laughs> and I'm like technically Technically, direct, he brought it in. The he, director of It Conquered the World. Yeah, it's like, he can't really take credit for it, but we do have to th- say thank mm. you for bringing this movie to and, America. And, and he's
1: a known quantity. But uh, yes, Hell, comes, know, it's just Hell, funny. Hell Comes to Frogtown is very much in his wheelhouse. It's kind of weird. It's got a catchy title. It's got, you know, one notable, st- two notable stars because it's got Sandal Bergman and Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yep. Uh,
0: they're recognizable names. Sandel has, Bergman is true. Rowdy Rowdy Piper is just being Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Sandel Bergman's trying here. She's such a she's such a fun actor Mm -hmm. and such a good actor and like for the kinds of movies that she's in, she's way better Mm -hmm. usually than anyone else in the cast. Like she's acting rings around everyone in Red Sonia, and she's not even in it that
1: much. (laughs) Uh, So I'm I'm
0: a fan, but it's just always been a shame she never had the career she deserved.
1: It also has Rory Calhoun, who's not like you're not got teenagers scouring you know looking for sexy frog movies, saying, "Ooh, look a Rory Calhoun movie." Who is that?
0: Who Uh, is that one comedian who's always talking and standing up? He's always talking and standing up. Rory Calhoun. Yeah. <laughs> That's that? who this dog reminds me of. Is that a Rory. Simpsons joke? Yeah, it's when the, uh, uh, he was talking about uh, one of the dogs that he, he when he like took all the Simpsons dogs and then one of them stood up on its hind legs and he's like, he reminds me of that one comedian who's always standing up. Rory Calhoun. It was Rory Calhoun <laughs> like
1: the That rainbow. guy who always wears a shirt Ed Sullivan, yeah that's the guy Look at
0: them, they're all standing up A bunch uh, of Rory Calhouns
1: <laughs> it, it has everything That needs to catch the eye And yeah. distract, it has enough nudity To maybe warrant a second rental Uh huh, it is uh, short it, It's, it's yeah it's short It's so like can, less than 90 minutes, you get in and get out You can watch it twice in a two day rental period If you yeah. want to It's perfect <laughs> It is Hell Comes to Frogtown. And it's really, really sleazy.
0: It's really, really sleazy. And if you want sleazy movies, Tubi is definitely the place to go right now. Thank you, Tubi, for allowing people who are interested in such things to find Hell Comes to Frogtown. I do not hate this movie, it's just too dumb for that. But it's <laughs> not a good
1: movie. No, it, I, will, I will not call it a good movie. Yeah. And maybe there was a time in my life, sometime in high school. When I would have watched this and thought, Whoa, this is like freak weird, man. Do, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring friends over and we'll watch it together. I
0: do remember seeing this in high
1: school. I saw oh, okay. this, this was
0: on Cinemax one night or something like that. And right, I saw right. it because the title sounded stupid and I, I remember and thinking the prom, at
1: the time prom- it was boobs, which you can't get because there's no internet yet. I remember and, uh,
0: thinking at the time this is dumb but kind of fun. Hmm. And I remember when <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road came out and I was like Did They're, George
1: Miller see Hell Comes to Frogtown? I'd love to ask him about that. I
0: would be his, very, I'd, I'd be very would, surprised. His answer
1: would be no, and not, what is that, but
0: yeah. I interviewed George Miller once. He's very open about mm. stuff like that, if anything's kind of weird or yeah. uh, uh, you know isn't necessarily what you'd expect or isn't necessarily flattering. he'll, he'll He's very upfront, and mm. I respected that. Um, so, But yeah, I'd rather doubt it. Um, anyway, that is Critically acclaimed for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Next week... On the critically acclaimed streaming club, uh, we already had a poll on our Patreon. The poll was action movies on Netflix. And the options included stuff like Bad Boys 2. Yeah, classic movie. Everyone liked it. The options included Wong Kar-wai's The Grandmaster, a celebrated, uh, dramatic, and action-packed retelling of martial arts master Ip Man, who also has another popular franchise based around his life yeah went there mm-hmm. we had a new Pokemon movie which and it's one I haven't seen it's one Whitney hasn't seen, seen so that would have been most of the Pokemon would have been a rare opportunity yeah. to get me to watch a Pokemon movie which I've actually only seen the live action film. I've never seen any of the other films mm-hmm. and have Whitney explain it to me and instead of picking any of those, our patrons picked the core yeah <laughs> the core. Starring Hilary Swank and DJ Qualls and Aaron Eckhart and Stanley Tucci. You see, the center of the earth has stopped spinning. Mm -hmm. And in order to jumpstart it, we need to send a giant drill into the center of the earth and get it spinning again. You know, like we would when
1: that will happen. And uh, it's all about the logistics of how they plan to do that in an Alany sort of way. There's a whole team of celebrity uh, scientists, each working on a different element of this project. And they have to build a gigantic phallic ship and plunge it down into the Mariana Trench.
0: The rule for all of our streaming club uh, uh, movies is one of us Mm. has to have never seen it before, at least in its entirety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've seen this movie. That's what I was about to ask. You've right. seen the core. I've, I've seen this movie.
1: I've even I, if you look hard enough online, you can even find my review of it from wow. back in two thousand three when here's, it came out. But, here's what I will say: I've never seen
0: the core. Mm-hmm. The core came out on home video back when I was working at Hollywood Video, and I never saw it because in my head. I knew it could never live up to the movie I wanted it to be. <laughs> and next week, before we review the film proper, I will go... I've done it before, but it's been a long time. I will tell you in detail how I thought the core would go down. Mm. And then we will talk about how the core actually went down. Okay. So I'm breaking like a promise I made to myself that I would never watch the core. Because I never thought you would pick the core. <laughs> you had Bad Boys 2, mm. a new Pokemon... And the Grandmaster and the Core One in a runaway. Like it wasn't close. Our patrons are wonderful. <laughs> they are wonderful and weird, and I can never predict what you're going to pick, and I love
1: that. So thank
0: you, everybody. Thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. can get a ton of exclusive content there if you haven't joined up already, including reviews of uh, every episode of Firefly, every single episode of Star Trek. We're working on it. That one will take a while. Uh, we've got reviews of every film ever nominated for Best Picture. We're still working on that. That's going to be a process as well. We've got a podcast called Not on Disney+, Plus where we review films that should be on Disney+, Plus but mysteriously are not. Uh, we've got commentary tracks, Discord hangouts, uh, and polls aplenty. Uh, you get to pick a ton of content uh, here and also on the Patreon. So uh, thank you, everybody, for subscribing. We couldn't and wouldn't do this without you, and it means the world to us that we have your support. So thank you for that. You can also find us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, of course, if you want to write us in about... Hell Comes to Frogtown, any of the things that we reviewed this week, any of the digressions that we made, or just any questions you have whatsoever about uh, film, film history, you want film recommendations, you want to talk about something unrelated to film, like TV or socks. You could just, <laughs> anything you want. We can just write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net and we will potentially read your email mm. on an upcoming episode of our other weekly podcast, We've Got Mail, right here on the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, and uh, that's about it. So thank you, everybody. We hope you have a really wonderful week. Hope you have a really wonderful Memorial Day. Stay inside. Don't
1: Be safe.
0: Beach, yeah. Be safe. Be responsible. We all need to just get through this as best we can. And there's plenty of good stuff on streaming this week to help you do that. So uh, thank you, everybody, once again. And never forget, everyone's a critic.
1: I want to go to the Joe! I'm sorry, what?